I have been uh, going through this Christmas season, I've been going through Old Testament passages that point to the arrival of the Messiah. And uh, we, we, have, we started on Psalm 22, uh, we did Isaiah 40, we did Isaiah 11, and now today, if you have your Bible, we're going to be looking at Isaiah uh, chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. And this passage in Isaiah chapter 61, it's actually, I was uh, reading this week and somebody called it the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, that it, it's so clear and uh, just so, so powerful about what the, the, what the anointed one, what the Messiah was coming to do. And, and, and he referred to it as the John 3.16 of the Old Testament, and I, I really liked that. I thought that was neat. I came across a story that I wanted to share with you. Are you ready for this? Thank you. Steve, it's just for me and you, okay? None of you can listen except for Steve, but okay, all right, here we go. I, I, uh, there was a, a story that came across my desk about a man who was working in a post office, and this man's job was to process all the mail that had... Um, sort of uh, illegible addresses on the front that the, uh, the, the computer scanning system in the post office couldn't determine. And so all those letters would go to him. And so one day a letter came to his desk and it was addressed to God in very shaky handwriting. And he thought he should open it because he, he didn't know what else to do with it. So he opened it and he read these words. It said, Dear God, I am a 91-year-old widow living on a very small pension. Yesterday, somebody stole my purse. It had $100 in it, and it was all the money I had until my next pension check. Next Sunday is Christmas, and I had invited two of my friends over for dinner. And without that money, I have nothing to buy food with. I have no family to turn to. You are my only hope. Can you please help me? Sincerely, Edna. The postal worker was touched by the letter that he read, and he, he showed in his, uh, around his little area, he showed the letter to some of his fellow workers, and each of them dug into their pockets, and they dumped all they had out, and they, they, uh, by the time they were done, he collected $96. So he put $96 <clears throat> uh, into an envelope, and he sent it back to the woman. And the rest of the day, he said, we felt so great, like a warm glow, for the kind thing that we had done for this older lady. So Christmas came and went, and a few days later, another letter came from the same old lady in that same shaky handwriting addressed to God. And so all the workers gathered around while the letter was open because they wanted to see what she said. And it read this, Dear God, how can I ever thank you enough for what you've done for me? Because of your gift of love, I was able to fix a glorious dinner for my friends, we had a lovely day, and I told my friends about your wonderful gift. By the way, there was $4 missing. I think it must have been those thieves at the post office. There you go. A good deed go, never goes unpunished, right? Yeah. Isaiah 61. That had nothing to do with my sermon. I just thought it was funny. All right, there you go. Isaiah 61, uh, verses 1 to 3, it's on the screen. It says this. 
The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to touch those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor is come and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks, but the Lord has, but, uh, that the Lord has planted for his own glory. As we've seen in other passages uh, in Isaiah and even in the Psalm passage, there's always an immediate meeting, uh, an immediate meaning to the, to the uh, passage, but all of these point to a deeper meaning, and that's the one that I've been jumping to. This one is pretty obvious where it's going. Isaiah was set apart. He was commissioned by God to bring good news to the people. Remember Isaiah chapter 6 when he's before God and God touches a coal on his lips and sort of sets him apart to do his work? This, this is part of, uh, part of what Isaiah did. But of course, the greater future meaning, again, is pointing to and his name is, yes, in fact, this one, is, this one is so clear that Jesus himself actually says that it's, it's about him. This is what he said in Luke chapter 4, uh, verse 16. It says, when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath, and he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. Pretty awesome. He, he, he goes back into a passage that was written hundreds and hundreds of years prior, reads it in the synagogue and says, the words that you've just heard actually are pointing to me. These words are actually about me. Could you imagine that day, what they must have thought? Some people loved it, some people hated it, but there he is. This is a clear, clear indication that he's calling himself the anointed one, the Messiah, the one who was to come from God. It, it's, it's so clear that it, it really almost can't be debated. The spirit of the Lord is on him. Look at Luke 3, 21. This is when he was baptized. One day when the crowds were being baptized, Jesus himself was baptized. And as he was praying, the heavens opened and the Holy Spirit in bodily form descended on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son. And you bring me great joy. This is a clear, again, a clear indication of where Jesus is anointed for ministry. The anointing of the Spirit falls on him in a special, unique, awesome way, in a full way, there as he's being baptized. He goes into the desert for 40 days after that, you know, and he, he comes back and all that goes on in his life. But the whole point is that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. 
and he claims this passage as his own. The Hebrew word Messiah that you hear people say from time to time, it, it, it means anointed one. Messiah means anointed one. That's, that's really what it means. And when we talk about the word anoint, it's not a word that we use too often. And I think we get it, but it really means just to rub or to sprinkle with oil. And it's a reference back to the Old Testament where priests who were set apart for the service of God, they were anointed. And uh, here's a little example. Exodus 28. Clothe your brother Aaron and his sons with these garments, and then, here it is, anoint and ordain them. Consecrate them so they can serve as my priests. So this is something that they did. So the oil is this outward sign of the Holy Spirit that was now coming upon the priest. Jesus, of course, is the great anointed one. The Holy Spirit was with him for a purpose. It, it, it wasn't by accident. It wasn't, uh, it, it wasn't random. The Holy Spirit was on him for a purpose. Acts 10, 38 says, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. This is part of why the anointing was on him, to, so that he could go around doing good, bringing healing and hope to everybody who would listen to him. Now, if you're a believer in Jesus, you have that anointing as well. Somebody said yes. See, 1 John 2, it says, it says, you have an anointing from the Holy One. That's what it says. 1 John chapter 2, you have the anointing from the Holy One that we are filled with and blessed by the Holy Spirit. And so it's up to us at this point how much we want to submit to that, how much we want to respond to him, how much we want to let him flow in and out of our lives. But the very fact is, as a believer, you are anointed by the Holy One. Now, we are anointed to carry the good news, by the way. We're anointed to comfort the broken. We're anointed to bring freedom to the captive. And if you have Jesus, the day of the Lord's favor is on you. He said, the day of the Lord's favor has come. That's what he said that day in the temple. It's now, and it hasn't ended yet. One day it will end, but we are still in that age of grace, still in that age of mercy, still in that age of favor, right? It is, a, it is on us. It is in us. And the, if you have him in your life, the day of the Lord's favor is on you. You are living in it right now. And so from the time of Jesus right up to, uh, right up to now, it's the year of the Lord's favor, right? Understand that. We are living in the year of the Lord's favor. It's the time of his grace. It's the time of his mercy. It's this season of grace. And like I said, it, it won't last forever. It will come to a close, uh, especially for those who ignore him or reject him. The writer to the Hebrews said it well in Hebrews 2, for the message God delivered through angels has always stood firm and every violation of the law and every act of, obedience, of disobedience was punished. So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus himself and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? He's saying, listen, there's going to come a day when the day and the age of grace will end. And then people who have ignored him, who have rejected him, who have walked away from him, they are going to stand on their own before the Lord. And that won't be the best place to be. You know what I'm saying? This is what he's saying. But 
Folks, we are living in the year of the Lord's favor. We saw last week that Jesus was the root that grew out of the dead stump of David. And Isaiah talked about him having seven aspects of the Spirit to represent how perfect and how complete he was. And this passage is so awesome because it actually does the same thing. It talks about seven things that Jesus is anointed to do. It's, uh, seven is a powerful number and, uh, in the Bible, and here you see it again. So first, it says this, Jesus is anointed to bring good news to the poor. Now, who are the poor? It's a logical question. Many of us in this room today wouldn't actually classify ourselves as poor. In fact, we are the top 1% probably in all the world. But here's the thing. It's not really talking about those who are financially challenged. There's some who followed Jesus back then who were not financially poor at all. It's, it's referring to something else. We are all poor. Whether you like it or not or realize it or not, we are all poor in the sense of our spiritual need, right? We are spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to present to him that's, that's, uh, that, that's good enough. That's the thing. And so there's a, there's a poorness to us on that, on that inside. And that's, of course, why Jesus comes at Christmas time to give us a way back, right? But we are all poor in the sense of our spiritual need. We're imperfect. We're in need of a Savior. And the poor who actually receive the good news of Jesus, they are the people who humble themselves. The, the poor who receive the good news are those who admit that they have a spiritual need, they, they, that they can't fill themselves. And this is, uh, you see it, Matthew 5, 3. Jesus talked about it. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. This is blessed are the poor, right? In the, in the Beatitudes. We, poor is about realizing your need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. So, The kingdom of heaven is for those who recognize that they are poor in that that sense, that they're empty, spiritually empty, that we have to get to the point where we humble ourselves and receive his help because we can't do it on our own. Pascal said that we all have a God-shaped vacuum inside of us. And And then he went on to say it can only be filled by God. The God-shaped vacuum can actually only be filled by God. See, it's a supernatural hole that exists in us, and it can't be satisfied with, with a natural thing or natural things because it's a supernatural hole. So it only can be satisfied or filled with something that's supernatural, right? So people, are, people try to fill that hole. They try to fill that vacuum with stuff. We try to fill it with temporary stuff, to find temporary satisfaction. And the more money we have and the more toys we have and the more friends we have, you know, the longer we can try to fill that hole. But at the end of the day, we're still spiritually poor. And this is what he's saying. It, it, you, 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 you can't fill a supernatural hole with a natural thing. It can only be plugged with a supernatural thing. So some refuse, of course, to humble themselves. Some uh, uh, 
will just simply refuse to admit that they're spiritually poor. Some aren't self-aware enough to even realize that they have a need. They don't even know. We just live in oblivion to our, our emptiness on the inside. But Jesus is anointed to bring good news to the poor. Who are the poor? We are the poor. I am the poor. You are the poor. And he is anointed to bring good news to the poor. And those who respond to what he has to say, those who respond to his life and to his message, are those who discover the truth about your inner poverty. You actually don't know how much you need him until, until you have him. And then you begin to realize all afresh how empty and lost you really were. This is the truth. And when we respond, we discover the truth about our inner poverty. So Jesus is first anointed to bring good news to the poor. Second, he's anointed to comfort the brokenhearted. So, look, we all need comfort from time to time. This is, of course, you know, pointing to those who are broken on the inside that were, were wrecked, were crushed by things that have happened to us. And I wanted to read this, this story from Luke just to sort of illustrate this point. Luke 7. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told them this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, he doesn't negate that, right, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among, them, among themselves, who is this man that goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is an, an example. I, it, it's a longer portion than I normally read, but I just wanted to give you a, an example of a woman who had a broken heart, a woman whose life was wrecked, a woman whose life was crushed, a woman who was a prostitute who had all kinds of issues going on in her life. But guess what? She realized that she was poor. 
And she went in and she, she did all that she did to Jesus. The woman had a broken heart, crushed by a very, very hard life. And she was what? Comforted. She was offered forgiveness. She was given everything that she needed, and she left that day forever changed and forgiven. Jesus is anointed to comfort the brokenhearted. See, we live in a day where people are broken, constantly broken, where where we live with brokenness in our lives. And this is why, part of the reason why he came, as he offers salvation, as he offers mercy, as he offers all these things to us, he, he's comforting the brokenhearted. He's able to meet that need that you can't seem to find relief from. He comforted a woman who had a broken heart. And so, listen, this is, this is the thing. We live in a world where there's so many issues and so many problems, and people come in to this church and their needs are so deep and so great that you stand there and you go, I have no idea. I have no idea what we can possibly do. But I'll tell you this. I know someone who can bring comfort. I know someone who can offer good news to the poor. I know someone who, who can take a broken heart and a crushed life and bring comfort, transformation, and forgiveness. I know someone who can change you forever. This is the hope that he brings. And he's anointed to do that. It's not random. It's one of the things he does. Third, he's anointed to give freedom to the prisoner. Now, again, you have to say, who are the prisoners? Is it just those who are behind bars? No, no, of course not. There are many people who are in prison. You live with them, maybe. You work with them, probably. You drive by them every day. They live beside you and across from you. They are all around us. People are bound with addictions. People have habits that are sinking them into a hole. People are in chains to fear and worry and anxiety. They they are in prison. They may look free, but they are not free. Jesus is anointed to break the chain and to set people free. See, addictions can be broken. Habits can be broken. Fear can be replaced with confidence. Freedom can be gained if we reach out to the one who is anointed by the Holy Spirit to give us the freedom. He's anointed for this ministry. He has the power of the Holy Spirit upon him to give freedom to the prisoner. It's one of the things that he does. Is there not one of us really that at some point in our life wasn't a prisoner to something? Really? And he set us free. Amen. I mean, how many of you in this room today can say, it's true, I am set free that I saw him do that in my life. That's what he does, and it's who he is. Next is, he's anointed to give hope to those who mourn. That's what it says. That's uh, number four. He's anointed to give hope to those who mourn. So, again, who are those who mourn? Who is that? Well, we all mourn 
when we have a loss or when we lose a loved one. So we, we, all, we, we all mourn. But there's people who really mourn on a regular basis. They, they struggle with depression. They struggle with all kinds of things. They're so bad that life seems hopeless. And they walk around in this continuous state of mourning. And in our times of grief, in our times of loss, in our times of struggle, he's saying, hey, there's hope. And his name is Jesus, right? He's anointed to give hope to those who walk around with the spirit of mourning in them. He's anointed to break it. He's anointed to release you from it. He's anointed to give you hope. He's anointed to give hope to anybody who's in need. Look at, look at just a few examples. Psalm 9, 9, the Lord is a shelter for the oppressed. He's a refuge in times of trouble. Deuteronomy 31, do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord will personally go ahead of you. He will be with you and you will neither fail. He, he will neither fail you nor abandon you. John 16, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Because I have overcome the world. He is anointed to give hope. Anointed to give hope to those who mourn. Fifth. I'm, I'm, I'm doing all right. It's only 1120. We're good. Jesus is anointed to give beauty for ashes. He's anointed to give beauty for ashes. Look at Isaiah 61.3, and, and this is where, where we'll camp for the rest. To all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. And in their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his own glory. One more. Read this one too, Luke 5. Put that one up for me. In one of the villages, Jesus met a man with an advanced case of leprosy. Not just at leprosy, but an advanced case. It's, it's important. When the man saw Jesus, he bowed with his face to the ground and he, and he was begging to be healed. Lord, he said, if you're willing, you can heal me and make me clean. And Jesus reached out and touched him. I am willing, he said, be healed. And instantly, the leprosy disappeared. I thought of this story for this reason. Here is a man who is in need of some beauty. Seriously, have you ever seen anyone with an advanced case of leprosy? This man was in dire need of some beauty. He needed beauty on the outside, yes, but he needed beauty on the inside. His life was nothing but ash. He was on the way out. His life was, it was a death sentence to have leprosy. He, he was pretty much destroyed. He was just living out whatever days he had left, waiting for death to come to him, to give him relief. His life was trashed. He has this fatal disease. He's lonely. He's isolated. Nobody can go near him because he has leprosy. Nobody wants to talk to him. Nobody will touch him. Nobody will come within 30 feet of him. He lives his life broken. He's, it, it, he needs something. You know, he's in need of like a serious makeover. You know what I'm saying? Uh, like on those shows. I don't know what they are, but I know there's shows on that. 
I don't watch them because I think they're weird, but, but yes, there are makeover shows. And he was in serious need of a makeover, both on the outside, but especially actually on the inside. Jesus is anointed to give us beauty for our ashes. He's anointed to give us a makeover on the outside and the inside. He lifts up your countenance because he changes you here first. And then it starts to permeate on the outside. You know? It's like, you know, when you first see somebody married and they're walking around with that glow on their face. You know? This is... This is what he does. He's anointed to give us beauty for ashes. So listen, you have something in your life that's a total disaster. You have something that's just nothing but ash and destruction. Was there a relationship maybe that once was beautiful, but now it's broken? Was, is there something that you were counting on, someone you were counting on, and the whole thing completely fell apart, and now it's nothing but trash? He is capable of making something beautiful again in your life. This is what he's anointed for. This is what he wants for us. It's part of the anointing that is on him. He's anointed to give beauty for ashes. Six, he's anointed to give us joy. Gives us joy instead of mourning. We talked about mourning, but I just want to talk about joy for a second. He's anointed to give us joy. Now, joy is actually one of the themes of Advent. It's one of the themes of Christmas. Advent means the arrival or the coming of the Messiah. And it's one of the themes of Christmas. Joy and peace and love and hope. Those are the four main themes of Advent. But joy is a very powerful one, right? Joy to the world, the Lord is coming, right? It's right there. You sing it all the time, right? Joy to the world. It's a part of what he's anointed to bring. We live in a world, by the way, if you hadn't noticed, that needs a little bit of joy. You know, there's a lot of sour people out there. Just drive up and down the road. People just wave gloriously with fingers in the air when you do weird things and just, just passing joy around, just passing joy, just passing joy around. You know, someone freaks out. Try it. I've done it a few times. Someone freaks out, and I wind down the window, and I say, are you okay? Usually it doesn't go well. <laughs> I usually get more words and more fingers, but it's sometimes fun to try. Yeah. I did it one time in Ottawa, and I thought the lady was going to kill me. I thought she it was so crazy. And, uh, and then I was up and went, no, seriously, are you okay? And anyway, it was fun. I'll tell you that story someday. But anyway, it, this is what he does. He's anointed to give us joy. We have problems, we have issues, of course, that don't ever seem to go away. That life itself is tough. It says, Jesus says, you're going to have trials, you're going to have sorrows. It's going to happen to you, whether you're a good person or a bad person, it's just going to happen. That life is going to suck the joy right out of you. That's what happens to us, right? But Jesus is the joy giver. He is the joy sustainer. He's the one. Happiness comes and goes, but what we're talking about is joy. It's something deeper, more powerful. Real joy stays. And here's what you got to say. The world didn't give it to me, and the world can't take it away. This is joy that was given to me by the anointed one 
whose part of his anointing is to give me joy, he gave it to me, and nobody can take it from me, right? Yes, we have bad days. Yes, we have garbage that happens. Yes, we have struggles. But listen, happiness comes and goes, but there's a deep-seated joy that he gives his people that is supposed to be with us all the time, that's supposed to stay. Look at 1 Peter 1. Uh, You love him even though you've never seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him, and you rejoice with a glorious, inexpressible joy. And the reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. This is the joy that he brings. The joy Jesus gives is deep. The joy he gives is permanent. And listen, we all know people who, you know, there's some people who give us joy. And we all know people who have the ability to suck joy out of you. Nobody here in this room, of course, but, but there's some people in our lives that, that have that ability. You know, when you... St- you're in the presence of somebody and you're just having a coffee or you, whatever, and you just spend five, ten minutes talking with somebody and you just leave like, man, there's, there's such a great person, like so positive, like you just, they just give you life, you know, they're encouraging to talk to. And then you can have a five-minute conversation with somebody else. And it's almost like you gave five liters of blood. You know what I'm saying? They have this unique ability to literally suck the joy right out of you. And, and, and this is why life does it to us. People do it to us. Things happen. Jesus is anointed to give us joy, right? See, some get the wrong impression. This is, this is I, think, I think, sometimes where people get Jesus wrong who don't know him. Some people get the wrong impression. They, they actually think he's a killjoy. They actually think he, he exists to try to, you know, to suck all the fun out of your life, who wants to take away stuff from you. But Jesus said, actually, the opposite is true. He said in, in John 10, you know, he said, it's the enemy's purpose. The enemy comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But I have come to give you life and an abundant life, right? So he, he gets a bad rap sometimes by people who don't know. He's actually anointed to give us joy. It's ours. Last, Jesus is anointed to give us a spirit of praise instead of heaviness. Luke 8, look at this, this verse, Luke eight forty three. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. I was going to keep going, but that's all I gave you. But you know the story. I, just, I, I, I wanted to just point out this woman because I was thinking about this story in terms of a, a spirit of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. I think this woman would be someone who who had a spirit of heaviness upon her. Could you imagine bleeding for 12 years and having it never stop? Just the inconvenience, the embarrassment, the shame, in in that day, the uncleanness of it all? 
it goes on to say that she had spent all she had on doctors trying to solve this, and nothing would work, and she, she was completely broke and completely broken. And she's walking around with this spirit of hopelessness, this, this heaviness, this weight on her. But then Jesus comes to town, and she, she says to herself, if I can only reach out, if I can just reach him through the, 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 the huge, massive crowd, if I can just reach out and just touch him, I believe that he'll heal me. See, it wasn't just the bleeding that was healed. Imagine the healing that happened in her psychologically, mentally, spiritually. How much joy, the spirit of heaviness was removed from this woman and given a spirit of praise. You think she walked out that day saying, yeah, that's cool, thanks a lot, Jesus. No, no. She was, you know. She was freaking out joy. Is that like a weird two-step or something? What is that? Yeah, I don't know what that is. And it, yeah, is that a jig? Is that an Eastern jiggy thing? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, whatever, she was jigging. She was happy. There's newfies here. You probably jig sometime in church. But anyway, so she, she is given a spirit of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. Her life is broken. Her life is nothing but, but unfortunate misery. She has a, a bleeding problem that doesn't go away. She spends a fortune trying to find a cure. And she walks away that day not only physically healed, but with a spirit of praise that released her spirit of heaviness, right? It, it, I should say it replaced her spirit of heaviness. Her spirit of heaviness was released, right? Jesus is anointed to do the same thing for us. What does the word say? He is the same. Come on. Yesterday, today, and so if he says to the woman, your spirit of heaviness is gone, can he still do that today? Yes. Can he still take brokenness that's ash and turn it into something beautiful? The answer is, yeah, he's still capable. He still does it. It's still seen. If we have the eyes of faith to believe that he's bringing good news to the poor, he's anointed to do that. He's anointed to comfort the brokenhearted. He's anointed to bring freedom to the prisoner. He's anointed to give hope to those who are mourning. He's anointed to give beauty for ashes. He's anointed to give us joy. He is anointed to replace our spirit of heaviness with a spirit of praise. This is what he does. He is anointed to do this. I wanted to read you this thing here. I cut this out because it was great. The Lord Jesus Christ, whom we exalt at Christmas, he's not just a baby in a manger. He's not a character in a children's story. He's far more. The first time he came, he came veiled in the form of a child. But the next time he comes, he will come unveiled. And it will be abundantly and immediately clear to the world who he really is. The first time he came, a star marked his arrival. But the next time he comes, the whole heavens will roll up like a scroll. The first time he came, wise men and shepherds brought him gifts. But the next time he comes, he will bring the gifts and be rewarding those of his own. The first time he came, there was no room for him. 
the next time he comes, the whole world will not be able to contain his glory. The first time he came, only a few attended his arrival. But the next time he comes, every eye will see him. The first time he came as a baby, but the next time he's coming as sovereign Lord. This is who he is. For the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me to preach good news to the poor, to comfort the brokenhearted, to release the captive, to give beauty for ashes, to give the oil of joy for mourning and a spirit of praise instead of a spirit of heaviness. This is why he came. This is why we celebrate Christmas. This is why we recognize his greatness because he is anointed to do all of these things. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon him. He is still anointed today to do the same thing. He will do it. He can do it. He is doing it for anyone who recognizes that they are poor. It's, see, there's no, it's not a mistake that that's first. It's first in the list. Because once you recognize your spiritual poverty, then all the other blessings and anointing will come. But it's the one thing that must happen first. It's the one thing that we must possess. If we never get to the point where we recognize our spiritual poverty, then he never gets into us the way that he should. And the rest of those blessings really don't flow the way that they could. He is anointed to bring good news to the poor.